Welcome to Self Taught, where former foster youth like myself share our real life experiences with sex, health, and life. <laughs> Hosted by the Reproductive Health Equity Project, these are some conversations we wish we'd had earlier. Hi, welcome. I know you had mentioned something that's important to you that you want to talk about is like this concept of diaspora. Like, what does that mean? as a concept for, I've only ever heard it used really on this big societal level kind of thing, but obviously this is something that's prevalent in your own life. So maybe we can kind of compare the two and see how that's, I think, incredibly relevant to foster kids. For me, I feel like from a really young age, I felt like people already assumed different things about maybe how the world functioned or how things are supposed to go. A lot of people don't realize how close things like segregation were. Like my foster mom desegregated her school. And so being a mixed race uh, person in the 90s was not like how it is today. It wasn't really celebrated. It was kind of like embarrassing. And then it was even more like challenging to navigate uh, predominantly white, more affluent spaces, especially when, you know, you're dealing with kids. And I remember one time when I was taking a test, I was crying so much because we had like, um, like a mom and like teacher tea thing where like all the parents come and have tea with the kids and the teachers. It's kind of like an open house, but not really. It's more like a beginning of the school year thing to kind of get people acclimated. And they were just like, the kids were like, well, there's no way that's your mom. She's white and you're black and this and that. And so like from experiences like that, it just kind of really set it off. Like, okay, you're, kind of different you just don't like fit into one box or the other you fit into multiple boxes and no matter like I feel like where I meet a lot of different mixed race people they kind of feel the same and it doesn't matter what races you're mixed with it's kind of like well I don't feel like I'm fully with this culture and I don't feel like I'm fully with this culture I'm somewhere in between and I feel like that's something that I've been bringing into a lot of spaces is like we had webinars where it was like, there's a black space and there's like a white space. And then I was like, you know, we need a mixed space. And when we had that, we had such good dialogue and there was like so many different races there, like Filipino and this and Hispanic and that. And like, it was just really interesting to see that like we come from different backgrounds but we all experience similar things. And people don't realize that because they always want you to just check one box. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like being able to identify with that concept kind of is this balance of like, yeah, I can fit in anywhere more, you know, more or less I can fit anywhere, but I really don't belong anywhere. And that's hard. And I think um, not only people of mixed race, but I think that's really relevant to people that are in foster care. I know I lived with like a dozen different families and um, I've seen different like ways of life. And so because of that, um, like politically and otherwise I can, I'm very moderate. I see everything, but I don't necessarily agree wholeheartedly with any one kind of belief system. It sounds like as a kid, you had like a hard time with 
finding that kind of sense of belonging and family. But I know that you've mentioned in the past that you, you have been able to, can you speak a little bit to what has given you that sense of belonging and community? So yeah, even though I was in like 12 different foster homes, I feel like there was only the two that really kind of taught me a lot and like made me really feel like value, respected, and made me feel like my life was important and what I had to say was important. I met my friend's mom when I was 15. And my friend was like, um, she wasn't really my friend. <laughs> she was my my foster sister's friend. And she was younger. So she was like 11, 12, something like that. And then like, I don't know, my foster sister brought me over to her house and I just fell in love with her family. And her mom said, like, if you were, um, she said something that I would adopt you. And I was like, you should go tell her <laughs> that I'm a foster kid and that I want to live here. And like, she let me live at her house. And like, I don't think I was really supposed to be living there for a long time because like, they have to do all the paperwork and things like that, but they kind of let me do it. And then um, eventually I just ended up going like living there and then they put all the paperwork there, but she was really just one person in my life who didn't really care like what I wanted to do or like what kind of music I listened to or how I dressed. She just was really focused on allowing me to express myself and allowing me to say like kind of whatever I like, not like whatever, but like you know, express my views at the time. And even now, like we laugh, like, I can't believe, you know, I used to think that way, or I used to feel that way. She never like tried to make me feel like what I was saying or thinking was wrong or anything. She just let me say and do what I wanted and like really express myself. And that's where I feel like I kind of found my voice is because she allowed me to do those things. And a lot of times in foster care and just being a black woman, like it's really easy for people to try to suppress your voice and say like, you don't know what you're talking about or you don't know what's best for you. Like you're only this old. And it's like, maybe I don't know a hundred percent what's best for me because I don't have all the information because they don't always give it to you. But I know what I feel is best for me and like, what I need in the moment. And if it has to be a learning experience, then it can be. But for the most part, I feel like I made all the right decisions when I was younger. The only thing was when I had to figure out if I wanted to be adopted with my brother or sister or let them be adopted. And I made a huge mistake allowing them to be adopted without me, I feel like. But I mean, it's something that you learn from for sure. That's an impossible decision anyway. So whenever I'm faced with things like that, I'm like, well, this is really hard. But the good news is that you really can't pick wrong because you couldn't possibly really know, you know? Right. And I guess I just also wanted to like emphasize uh, her giving you that sense of efficacy because like you said, yeah, maybe we're not going to make perfect decisions, but sometimes when you're forced to grow up fast, but then you're still treated like you're, you know, maybe you're 15 in your body, but maybe mentally you've been through enough that you're much older than that. And then losing that sense of control over yourself when you don't have as much already is tough. So I'm I'm glad that you were able to have that. And I'm happy to hear stories of other people that have had similar things because I've had other families take me in just like that. Like I wasn't legally living with them, but I lived with them. 
and just grateful for those experiences. Yeah, I just wanted to add to what you were just saying also, because um, I left my foster mom's house. Um, I call her my Roro, but because she, I think it was like 16, 17, because she had to take care of her mom. So then I had to move to another foster parent's house. And I really appreciated her because that's where I kind of um, spent a lot of my teenage years and then a little bit into my like, until I turned like 19. So a little bit into like my adulthood, as they call it. And she allowed me to like take the bus, make decisions for myself and like have that autonomous um, like thing about me and about mainly all the foster youth that she took care of because she was one of the people who taught me like, how are you supposed to um, like expect people to go out into the world and be productive citizens if you just held them back the whole time? Like you can't even go up the street to get a bag of chips. So how do you even know how to do that in your adult life? Like you don't know how to take the bus and you're like 18 and people are looking at you like, you don't know how to take the bus, but it's like, if no one ever allowed you to take the bus, no, you don't. Like, I remember my friend crying because he all he ever had was his parents give him things. And when his car broke, well, he actually got it taken away from him. Um, he had to take the bus and he started crying and he was like, I can't believe I had to take the bus, blah, blah, blah. And I had to like help him. And I'm like, well, this is what I've been doing, you know, since I was like, he's like this is terrible you're like this is my daily this is my Tuesday it's okay yeah like it's gonna be okay like it's fine but it's like like if you're not given those decisions and like those experiences then like you end up like my friend like you don't know what to do and like that's it takes a lot of time to catch up after like in your adult world and you don't have that time You've mentioned before that, like you said, like you actually wanted to be put in foster care, like, please, please adopt me. And I, uh, you haven't said it here today, but you have said that, you know, you feel that CPS came to your house, but was more lenient towards your mom than maybe they should have been. And I wondered if you could speak a little bit to that. Foster care and how they treated me when I was with my mom is that you know, I did like, my mom was a, like a horrible person. She was, I can't, I mean, she's still alive and everything, but I don't talk to her. And she's like very, very horrible and toxic for me to be around her. We just will never, ever get along because she just doesn't fully comprehend like the, the consequences her actions had and the trauma. I understand she had her own trauma that she didn't work through properly, but that affects all of us. And like, she doesn't understand that and she's not taking accountability for that. And that's why, like, I can never talk to her, but like when she was, when we were even in cases, it was like the social workers were trying to do all that they can to get us back to her. Um, I remember her like later on, like laughing with me and telling me like, I remember like faking those drug tests and I don't know how you can do that. Like, I just don't know, like, how do you have access to do all these things when, like, people are supposed to be watching you in those things, in the, like, area where you're supposed to be collecting urine and, like, supposed to make sure that things like that don't happen. So how was she able to get away with that? Um, I remember just the social workers keep coming back and they were like, hey, uh, just fix this really quick and we'll come back next week. But it was like, I'm being, like, tortured by my mom and like she 
like just kept getting all these chances. And so finally, after like me calling, having the neighbors call, because I've had neighbors, we lived in a gated community and my neighbors were like, we're, you know, we're not going to call DCFS for you. And that's another uh, part of like what made me autonomous is they were like, we're going to allow, we're going to give you the number. And when you feel like you're ready to call them, you call them because they knew what was happening. They saw how I looked. And um, I mean, they just gave me the the right to do it for myself. And so uh, it took a lot of convincing, even with the police, like there was just stories my mom told them that like were just untrue. And I'm like only eight and I'm like taking care of my brother and taking care of her. So it's like, I don't understand how I became like the caretaker. And so, and like eight-year-olds aren't supposed to be the caretakers and she had like a broken foot. And like, it was so many things against her that like factored into this is neglect and abuse and like, look at our house. And it's like, was once very clean and nice. And now it's kind of like falling apart because she got more heavy into drugs, less heavy on watching us. I became the main person watching everyone. And so, yeah, just even now in foster care, like when I talk about my experience, people don't assume that a white woman abused me. And that's what I try to tell them because it's not, you know, they love marking that I was black, but they never put the other side to it. And it's like, the other side is important too, because that's who abused me. (laughs) And like, my dad is African, but he was deported. And I feel like if he wasn't deported, then he would have been able to take care of us. Wow, I didn't, I didn't know that about your dad. I mean, you've mentioned that he's African before, but dang. Wow. So sorry. That's, that's really sorry. <laughs> and also props to you because you're a badass. I've spent a lot of my life living places where I'm not really wanted and stuff. And even earlier today, my, uh, my roommate, he wrote on the whiteboard something like, um, hey, we need to have a roommate meeting, right? And this is like the best roommate situation I've ever had. And my car's been busted. So for like three days, this has been sitting on the whiteboard and we haven't been able to. And he's like, okay, I know you're really nervous because you need to go into this, but I think that we should just do this now. And I was like, you're kicking me out. He was like, what? No. And I was like, oh, sorry, that's probably some childhood <laughs> trauma shit. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, those kinds of things that really like stick with you. I think there is a level of thought that's totally universal of just having this feeling like maybe I don't really belong anywhere. Kind of. I always think about that. I think it's sort of like a line on Rick and Morty or something. And they just said, and it's, you know, they have those one-liners that really stick with you. And he says, nobody really belongs anywhere. Just come and watch TV. And you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like that's kind of just something that we tell ourselves and we're trying to find this, and even though it's important, I mean, really important, it's all sort of illusory too. And we can decide for ourselves. Nobody really belongs every, anywhere. So everyone really belongs everywhere. So if you don't like it, get out. You know what I mean? Um, and I also think on the not so positive side of that, I know that's, I'm kind of like a little bit of a super achiever sometimes, but I think that that's because of that, because I think well, you know what, if I don't belong here, if I don't feel that sense of belonging community, you're at least going to be jealous of me because I'm going to be so successful. I'm going to get everything I want out of life. You know, <laughs> that's my sort of spite mission. <laughs> you know, earlier where we've ta- talked about how you did find that sense of belonging, uh, though it was like challenging and took time, obviously. And I guess I'm wondering a little bit about in those moments where you didn't have that, what 
what did you have when you didn't have that sense of belonging? What helped carry you through and how, how did you deal and cope with all that? For me, I, I feel like I have a problem still feeling like I belong in like life. And so I kind of remember when I was first in foster care, like people don't really assume that like rich people have problems or I could really even get their kids taken away, even though that's like untrue. And so like when I first got into foster care, I remember I never made beds. Like I had nannies, we had maids, like, I don't I just, I don't know. And so like people were like, what do you mean? Like you had nannies and maids and like, you don't know how to make a bed. You don't know how to wash dishes. Like, no, I don't. <laughs> so like, that was really hard to like convey to people because they thought like I wasn't telling the truth. They didn't realize like to the extent how much money like my family had and like how I don't even know, like I don't even know how my grandpa went from being extremely rich to like not so rich. And like my grandma is like a super millionaire now. So like just getting people to like kind of understand, like it's such a unique situation it's hard to resonate with people because they just can't believe so many things. Even my Row Rose family were like, for the longest, we really thought you were lying about your mom being white. And then we met her at your graduation and you look just like her. You're just darker. It looks like you're her with a tan. And I try to like, I know. <laughs> and everyone always says that when they see us. And like, I don't need to lie to like, you know, I don't know, fit in or I don't know. And so like that kind of left me, I don't know, kind of like feel like just keeping to myself, like even though I'm a really outgoing person who loves people, it's still a lot of things that people don't know about me. I'm not like really oh, like ready to open up to people and I don't feel like I belong in a lot of situations and I still to this day kind of find it hard to like, I don't know, feel like. I don't know if people care about me or people love me because for so long, I just didn't feel like anyone did. And so all I've ever had is me. And so I try to do things that like make me happy or like, I don't know, like kind of boost myself up. And so I kind of find found that kind of hard in my relationships is because I do spend a lot of time like hyping myself up. So like, I'm going to be proud of myself. I'm going to always talk about the accomplishments I did, but I've noticed like with either toxic friends that I've had to leave or other things, like they said, like, oh, that's all you do is like <laughs> talk about yourself and blah. Well, that's all I've ever had though. Yeah. So, like, yeah. And that's why I feel like on, the only advice I can give to people is just stay true to yourself. Like, you know, your life and your experiences and even if other people don't believe you or don't I don't know like want to believe you I don't know like it doesn't matter like that's your experience hold on to it you can't change it and you shouldn't change your story or your narrative for a long time for a long time I just allowed people to assume I was just some poor probably like black girl who lived in the hood and like I was never I never experienced the hood until I got into foster care. And so it's just like, people need to like drop all those assumptions and really listen to people for who they are. And that's kind of where I'm at now is like, I just focus on making myself happy 
and doing things that are good and positive for myself. And that's really all you can do in this life because you can't chase other, other people's opinions. And I had to learn that young to truly be happy. Wow. I've like come to learn this new word that I love recently. It's called a synchronicity. And as far as I understand, like it means when something happens in your life that is just such a strong coincidence, you feel kind of just one with the universe. And so now I'm sort of chasing that dragon, I guess, because I feel like I've had them before. And so now I'm kind of curious about other people. Have you had synchronicities with your crystals? Yeah, I remember when um, I first started getting into collecting crystals and uh, I have a grandma who is white and also a millionaire. And I haven't talked to her since I was like eight years old. And I remember for some reason, I was like, you have to cleanse your crystals before you, you know, give them intentions or use them in any way. And so I was like, I haven't done that in a while. I should do that. And trying to figure out how I should do that using like salt or water or like using Palo Santo or something. So I did salt and Palo Santo. And then I think like two days to like a week later, my grandma, who I hadn't talked to in like eight years, was like, oh, hey, um, like emailing me. Like, I just want to let you know that like I'm proud of you and I see the things that you're doing. And then she sent me like $500. And so I thought that was really interesting that like I haven't talked to her in so long and like it was really a coincidence that it just happened in that way and I haven't talked to her since but I sent her things and haven't like gotten any reply back via email so I don't know what what that was about (laughs) yeah wow so cool I'm so glad that I asked you that oh that I don't know but I'm gonna get me some (laughs) yeah Thanks for stopping by. To hear more and support our cause, check out fosterreprohealth.org for more resources.